It was cold, 32 degrees, and snowing that December evening in 2017. Naveed, a 17-year-old senior at Walt Whitman High School in Bethesda, Maryland, stood in the parking lot of a 7-Eleven talking with his friends. The friends had called an Uber and were trying to talk him into sharing it so they could all get home before curfew. But Naveed turned down the offer and they parted ways as they hopped into their Uber without him. As they drove away, they saw him walking off and just assumed he was going to walk the approximately 30 minutes to his house. The 7-Eleven had been just a short walk away from the multi-million dollar homes lining the streets of the Bethesda, Maryland neighborhood where they'd all been partying just minutes ago. Until the police arrived. Earlier that night, with his friends and in anticipation of the party, Naveed had purchased a bottle of vodka with one of his two fake IDs. Naveed was planning on a night of booze and fun, as so many teenagers his age do on the weekends. They were drinking before they even arrived at the home of his friend's younger brother, a sophomore at his high school, and son of an Austrian diplomat. It was his senior year, and he was likely thrilled to be halfway through the school year and looking forward to prom, graduation, and going off to college next fall. By all accounts, he had a great time at the party. His friend's parents were at home hanging out with the kids, but at some point, neighbors called the police and complained about the noise. And the diplomat, the dad, and the homeowner would tell the police that he had just told all the kids to leave and call their parents to come get them when he discovered there was alcohol at the party but there's no way for the police to verify whether that was truly the case. When the police had arrived in front of the home, some of the teens scattered, while others, including Naveed, who by then was described as being wasted, stayed and talked directly to the police. They were all told to simply get rides home, and no arrests were made. So Naveed and his friends would wander around the neighborhood until they ended up at the 7-Eleven, where they parted ways. After leaving his friends, Naveed staggered up the dark, tree-lined streets of this wealthy enclave in the freezing cold for several blocks, but he didn't make it home that night. By 11.30, his parents were panicked and trying to find him, and by the next morning, police were helping with the search. Just before 5 p.m. the following day, after searching for his only son for what seemed like an eternity, His father discovered Naveed's lifeless body lying face up in a ravine just blocks from the house where he'd partied the night before. Bottle of vodka in his pocket and both fake IDs still in his wallet. His dad would later recall screaming and wailing and performing CPR on his son, hoping against hope that somehow he'd spring back to life. After all, there was no trauma to his body, no wounds that he could see. The coroner would later rule Naveed's death accidental. Cause of death, acute alcohol intoxication, complicated by hypothermia and drowning. You're listening to Speaking of Teens, a weekly show delving into the science of parenting teens and tweens. I'm Ann Coleman, and for a couple of extremely stressful years, my husband and I struggled to understand our teenage son's behavior and figure out how to get him back on track. After getting him the help he needed and then realizing there was so much I didn't know and so many things I should have handled differently, I knew I wanted to dedicate myself to making sure you're better equipped than I'd been. I'm now using the research and writing skills I developed over the past 25 years as an attorney to do just that. You know, some people may point to Naveed's story and say, well, if his parents had taught him about drinking alcohol and taught him responsibility and it was in the safety of their home, maybe this wouldn't have happened. 
Or maybe if the parent hosts of the party had gotten permission for all the kids to drink from their parents and made sure that they all had rides or that they spent the night, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Because after all, we know they're going to drink, so we need to make it safe for them to drink so we can protect them. What else are we going to do? Well, to that, I would first say, listen to last week's episode, episode 11, before continuing to listen to this episode. Because as I pointed out in detail last week, there's overwhelming scientific evidence that allowing teens to drink at home or at someone else's home or anywhere else will not teach them to drink responsibly. It will not keep them from binge drinking or developing an addiction to alcohol. It's not possible to do that given an adolescent's neurobiology. As a matter of fact, just the opposite is true. Drinking earlier and at home with parents is more likely to cause kids to develop issues with alcohol. The statistics of European teens, most of whom begin drinking early and with family, compared to American teens, bears this out. The clear scientific fact is that a teen's likelihood of having a problem with alcohol decreases every year they wait to take that first sip. Giving them that first sip yourself is setting them up for disaster. And no, it's not guaranteed that they won't be chugging beer at 15 despite your best efforts. But wouldn't you rather not help that along? We learned in episode 11 that your teen takes his or her cue from you. They listen to you about drinking alcohol and they watch you, your attitude about drinking, whether you drink, how much you drink, what you say about it, how strict you are about it. It is a fact that you are the most influential person in their life when it comes to drinking It's not just a commercial. It's a fact. Peers actually don't even come close. Teens are actually 80% less likely to drink if parents strongly disapprove of it. And yes, of course, as I've said before, teens engage in risky behaviors more often around their peers because they want more than anything to fit in. But in so many cases, their bond with you, their connection, their need to make you proud, to be on your team, keeps them from doing something that may be really enticing. That's why your connection and helping them build emotional intelligence is so important. And here's the thing, just to give you some hope here, it's a fact that just over half of all U.S. teenagers do not drink alcohol. So while scientific surveys of teens show that drinking widens a teen's social network and the majority of the popular kids do drink, It's not a social death sentence to not drink because there's at least around 50% of the kids standing on that side of the fence. So drinking is not inevitable. It's not preordained that your kid is going to drink alcohol. Put that out of your mind and focus on keeping them from drinking or at least as long as humanly possible. Make your stance very clear and let them know why. No big lectures necessary, short and sweet, and repeated any time that the opportunity arises. So let's talk about teens and parties for a minute, and then we'll move on to the criminal and civil laws regarding minors and drinking. Naveed was at this party, obviously, in a nice neighborhood. There were lots of kids there. The parents, one of whom was a diplomat, they were both there, mixing with the kids. But they claimed to have sent the kids on their way once they realized there was alcohol on the premises. Maybe that's true. 
a study about 10 years ago, a large survey of teenagers showed that almost 40% of teens who had a party at their house last year said there was alcohol there. And well over half stated that a parent was home at least part of the time during that party. And about 70% of those parties with alcohol present said that their parents definitely knew there was alcohol at the party. 70%. Another 24% said that their parents probably knew. I mean, if we all think it's inevitable that most teens will drink, then why would any parent assume that their kid was having a party where no one was drinking, right? As a matter of fact, teens say parties are one of the most common sources of alcohol. The majority of teens say alcohol is easy to come by, and they get it for free most of the time, and most of the time they get it from someone other than a family member, but at least a quarter of the time they get it from a parent or another relative, and at least half of them drink it at someone else's house, a party probably. And another important fact When kids drink, they don't just have one beer or sip on a nice glass of oaky Chardonnay. No, teenagers, 90% of them binge drink, which is defined as five or more drinks for boys and four or more for girls on one occasion. That's why drinking is so very dangerous for our kids. Their brain is not equipped to help them know when to stop. They just keep going and going and going. Research also says that the more kids there are at a party, the more likely they'll be drinking. And with more kids, we know the dangers increase exponentially. Most of the news stories I've read in my research mentioned throngs of kids showing up after the party was posted on social media. These could be kids no one else even knows And studies tell us that if a kid is a drinker, they are the ones that are most likely going to show up for some posted party on social media. So although many well-meaning parents thinking, well, if we take their keys and we don't let them drive anywhere, everything will be okay. They're here with us. They're safe, which is much better than them being out there. God knows where doing God knows what and getting into accidents. You know, we've got this. But that could actually not be further from the truth. Number one, go back to the fact that allowing adolescents to drink is more likely than not going to make them have more issues with alcohol later. And number two, they are not safer at your house or anyone else's house. Parents don't sit right there with them the whole time. They give them their space or they go to bed. Many parents actually join in with them or plan the party and buy the booze. And it's not just about drinking and driving. Teenagers, most of whom are binge drinkers and getting plastered, then stagger off into dangerous situations. They become victims of sexual assaults right there in your house. They get into fights, vandalize property, get arrested, make irresponsible posts on social media, or end up in a car driving somewhere. And quite often, they're poisoned by too much alcohol. They wind up in the emergency room. They could even die. So who's responsible for this? The parents don't plan on this happening. I mean, who does? This happens even with house parties where adults, parents are present and know these kids are drinking. Parents will say, sure, have a party. You're 18. It should be legal anyway. And you'll be fine. Just invite 10 or 
few people. And before you know it, somebody's posted it on social media and there's 200 people in your house or outside of your house and you don't know what to do. That happened recently. I think maybe it was in Florida and an entire floor of someone's home collapsed because there were so many kids. Several kids broke ankles. It's simply not safer or safe in any way to allow an alcohol-fueled party for underaged kids, no matter the circumstances, no matter where it is or where you are or how many kids are officially invited. It's not safe. It's not ethical or moral, and it's not legal. So let's talk about the law. It is against the law in all 50 states in the U.S. for anyone under 21 to purchase or possess alcohol in a public place. These are called minor in possession laws or MIP laws. Both the minor is breaking the law and the person who sells it to them or provides it to them is breaking the law. Generally, the penalties for the teenager are fines, juvenile diversion program, community service. It's normally just a misdemeanor, but it goes on a person's criminal record. It's usually a misdemeanor for the person who furnishes it as well. Or there could be regulatory or license issues if it's a business that's furnishing it. There are exceptions to these MIP laws that vary by state. For example, for religious purposes, medical purposes, sometimes if the minor is with a parent or guardian. But again, the details of these laws, like maybe the definition of possession and public place, they're going to depend on your state's law. For example, in Wisconsin, a minor can possess or drink alcohol in the presence of a parent or guardian, at home or in public, and a place or a person can sell or give that minor alcohol with no criminal liability. There are a handful of other states that have similar exceptions like this. Also in Wisconsin, if the minor is on a college campus, is at least 18 years old, and is in the direct vicinity of a person who is of legal drinking age, which means anybody that's going to college in Wisconsin is golden. In over half the states, it's legal for a parent to furnish alcohol to a teenager at home, but that's not the case in around 21 states. All 50 states have laws regarding fake IDs, but they vary as to how they're classified and what the penalties are. The person furnishing the ID and the person using it are generally guilty of this offense. Some states are really creative, like California, for example, has a kegger law. They stamp the keg with the purchaser's information, and if that keg is found later with minors, like at a private party, the purchaser could face criminal and civil penalties. And other states make it a felony for any adult who furnishes alcohol to a minor who then gets into a car accident that causes personal injury or death to the person drinking or to someone else. But there are so many different ways a parent or other adult can be held legally liable, even if something happens not to be a crime or in addition to it being a crime. There are going to be plenty of legal theories where an adult who has some connection to a minor drinking alcohol, like hosting a party at their home, who later then causes harm to themselves or others, can be found liable. They can be sued because of a civil law. These civil laws are designed to reduce underage drinking and minimize harm that can come to them and others because of their drinking. And statistics and studies show they work. A majority of states have what is called dram shop laws. 
These laws have traditionally just covered commercial businesses like bars and restaurants who overserved someone and then they went out and hurt someone or damaged property. The law allows the injured party to sue the establishment. They also often allow someone to sue the establishment if they knowingly served a minor who then caused injury or damage. But in some states, these dram shop laws have been adapted to also apply to social hosts like parents or other adults who may be held liable for damage or injury caused by minors who drink, which may include injury to the minor themselves. Other states have what they actually refer to as social host laws that apply to parents and other adults associated somehow with minors drinking alcohol. These types of laws can impose criminal liability, like a misdemeanor. It's usually just accompanied by a fine or even a short jail term, and that's for the host. Or it could be civil liability, which is what I'll explain here. Most states have some form of social host law on the books, but again, they're going to vary greatly state to state. Generally speaking, under these laws, adults can be held liable when sued by someone for personal injury or property damage that is caused by a minor when that minor has been drinking alcohol on the property the adult owns, leases, or controls. Depending on the state, this person may be sued even if they weren't present when the drinking was happening, even if they didn't know the drinking was happening, and even if they weren't the ones who actually furnished the alcohol. And if you're sued under a social host law, the burden of proof for the person suing the plaintiff is not beyond a reasonable doubt like it is in most criminal cases. In a civil suit, the plaintiff only has to prove the case by a preponderance of the evidence which just means that the judge or jury has to find the evidence presented convinces them that it's more likely than not that this thing happened. But social host laws aren't the only legal theories someone could sue a parent under. There are plenty of other legal theories that can be piled on top or used if there's not a dram shop or social host law that applies in that state. You could be sued on the basis of vicarious liability for what your own teenager does just because you're their parent. Or you could be held liable under the family car doctrine because you own the car they drove. It might even involve your business if the business actually owns the car. You could be sued just on pure negligence in somehow allowing this drinking and subsequent issue to happen. So I cannot emphasize enough that it is critical that you are super aware of what's going on with your teenager, your property, your alcohol, and that you know the laws so you can make informed decisions about these things. So just to recap, remember that the longer you can keep your teen from taking that first sip of alcohol, the less likely they will have issues with it. Stand your ground. Make your feelings known. Alcohol is not allowed until they're 21, period. Do not assume it's just going to happen. You've got at least around a 50-50 chance unless you roll over. Understand that teen parties, no matter how much planning that you put into it to prevent this from happening, they can get out of control in a split second. All it takes is a bit of alcohol, which is going to happen. Don't assume you can have an invitation-only party for your teenager at your house that doesn't turn into a larger gathering than you'd planned. Thank you, social media. Don't think kids won't show up with alcohol just because you're home either. And certainly don't trust them to police themselves if you do have a party at your home. Just think of it as having a house full or a yard full of two-year-olds and supervise accordingly. 
maybe with like 10 other parents helping. Remember, this isn't just about drinking and driving. There are so many bad things that can happen from sexual assault to alcohol poisoning. Kids can down five drinks in the time it takes you to go get the ice cream out of the freezer. They binge drink, remember. And finally, remember the liability involved for the property damage, personal injury, or death that could result from your teen or someone else's teen drinking at your house. One stupid mistake, the kind teens make every day, can lead to financial ruin and then some. Speaking of Teens is the official podcast of Neuragility.com, an organization I started to educate other moms and adolescents about emotional intelligence. If you'd like to learn how to communicate with your teenagers to get more cooperation or learn how to help them with their emotional intelligence or learn more about the teenage brain, just go to Neuragility.com forward slash here we go to find all of our free parenting guides and ebooks. And you can go to neuragility.com forward slash 12 for this episode's show notes. That's N-E-U-R-O-G-I-L-I-T-Y dot com. And the show notes are packed full of my sources for the show and some good resources for you. You can also find the full word for word transcript right there. Please share this episode with other moms. I think it's so important to understand both the science and the law here. I hope you do too. If you'd like to reach out to me, I would love it. My email is acoleman at neuroagility.com. Until next Tuesday, hang in there.